we're moving into that area. In this scripture, in the 19th chapter of the crucifixion. And now our theme today is the stewardship of caring. I don't think you people realize how many areas stewardship is involved in. When people think of stewardship, they think you're going to talk about money and giving to the church. Well, yes, that's one of the phases. But first you have to think of the stewardship of time, which is a key stewardship. In other words, uh, time management so that you've got time for God. No, not that you've got time. You make time for God. It's not a matter of having time. You've got to make it. Because I will give you and I will guarantee that 24 hours is not enough for anybody. So if you think that, uh, that you've got time to waste, you don't. You really don't. Life is so programmed. So you must make time. Okay, we talked about time management. Uh, we talked about uh, talent stewardship, the stewardship of time, the stewardship of talents, giving to God of what we have, of what we, uh, of what we know, uh, of what's available to us. Uh, I think of our two offices, our police offices, and I think of several. We've got a fireman also, and we've got uh, uh, a few other gentlemen that work in, in in situations in which they deal and handle with people, uh, handle people on a, on a big moving basis. And I'm so thrilled when they come and they share in our time of gym with the young people. When they, they show up on that Wednesday, that particular Wednesday or the time that we have, and they're there. That, you see, in their job, they're being paid for what they do. But that's a talent, that's a uniqueness, that's a sharing that's very important. So that, that's the stewardship of talents. What can I give the Lord? What do you know how to do best? Well, give it to the Lord. We, I, I, think, I think of our Christmas productions. I, I think of a young lady like Loxley Harper. Uh, the last three years, I say to myself, what would we have done without her? When you think of the connections that have to be made, uh, uh, who do you call uh, to get props? Uh, uh, where are the companies? Uh, you say, oh, that isn't important. That isn't spiritual. Yes, it is. Because when you put a whole program together, it takes everything to make it function. When I, when I think of, of, of people like Sullivan, Brother Sullivan, and, and, and to come in and give us a whole week to just nail boards together, that's a stewardship of talent. When I think of Judy, who spent so much time coming in with her baby and traveling in with her car uh, to come here and paint and design, hey, I think of Melissa. I'm going to leave someone out, but do you count yourself in, okay? But the people that, that literally could do something and decided they would do it and would share, to me, that, that's unbelievable. That's a stewardship of talents. And that we give to God. And someday there'll be a recompense and you'll say, well, what for? I didn't do anything. That's what you think. Hey, you talk about computers, big brother, most frightening thing in the world. You know, I'm starting to hate computers. You've got to help me. Yeah, people that get into computers are like bugged. They're like possessed. Their life becomes, what else can they get out of it? Press this button, press that button, and the whole world shows up. I got a husband that starts, uh, he's out of bed before I am, and he's, he's a sleeper. And I'm, 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 I'm going to sleep after the news, and he's in the, in the last room in a computer and going goggy. And he doesn't even have a printer, so whatever he puts there, it fades away. 
So this is a real crazy man, okay? I mean, you're talking about things that possess, okay? Folks, I say I hate it, but uh, I, just, I just don't get near it, only for the fact that I imagine if I ever did get hooked, I'd never leave it. But I'm thinking of the blessing. Yeah, let's look at the other side of the things that can be done, things that can be accomplished. What used to be a whole year's work, somebody does it with a pressing of a button. It's unbelievable. So once again, now, today we're going to go into a whole different phase, okay? A whole different phase of, care, of stewardship. And it's the stewardship of caring. There are two main scriptures in the stewardship of caring. One scripture, and it's so funny, I know it by memory in Spanish. I'll paraphrase it for you in English. El que no cuida de los suyos es peor que los infieles. He that doesn't take care of his own is worse than the infidel. Now that's Paul teaching and sharing with Timothy the most important thing in ministry. Okay? And so he establishes a great truth there. And what is that great truth? Hey, caring starts at home. You'll, you'll find in my writing, I wrote the Center article too, and in there it says, hey, there are people that want to go out and save the world. But they haven't hugged their child. They haven't cooked a good meal for their husband in ages. Okay? He hasn't brought home flowers, you know, since somebody died. Okay? I mean, this is the way it goes. Now, the Apostle Paul says, who doesn't care for their own? For their own. And you know, that's a heavy trip. Let me tell you why. Because before your own... Now, permit me the, the, the explanation. Before your own, you stand naked. There's no facades. I mean, you can't walk into your house and say, Hello, darling. What a great day. Your wife will look at you and wonder if you were drinking. I mean, what's the matter with him? And you can't be waiting there in a party dress, all perfumed, and say, Hi, honey. I mean, just, you know, what, what is going on? You see, house is who you are. House is who you are. It's the way you are. And even that goes changing. By God's grace, it should. I mean, you shouldn't smell like the evening meal. You should smell nice. Okay? And, and hubbies... Whatever happened in the office, whatever happened on the job, whatever happened in the factory, whatever happened in the school, leave it there. For one moment, turn it off and come in and greet those people that you love more. You say, well, that, that's, not, that's not easy. I mean, it's easy for you to talk. No, it's not. You know, there are, there, we've got to learn that there's such a word in life as discipline. And that word applies to the fact that you can't always, and listen to me carefully, you can't always punish your own for what happens outside. You talk about child abuse. I don't want to cry. But how many times have our children been victims of our ugliness? You are you were mad at your husband and some little kid got a smack. He was angry at you and some kid was shoved against the wall. Especially if they're dumb little kids like ours. You know, that they never move. I always used to tell Damaris, I said, Damaris, how can you be so dumb? You see that your father is angry. Move! Debbie was smart. 
Oh, Debbie would see my husband's eyes flaring at you. Woo! She took off. And from the last door, she would yell her last word. Now, you know, you want to chase after her, but she was gone. She's smart. Damage would sit there and say, why? And Joe would say, why? And she would go, okay. Child abuse. Yeah. I I didn't want to bring in any memories, okay? I see a lot of faces going sour on me. The Lord forgave you. And if you haven't asked for forgiveness, ask for it. It comes real quick. The stewardship of caring. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, what does stewardship mean? It simply means a job for which you are held accountable. Stewardship simply means that you're in charge of something and that somebody is going to require from you for that which was given to you. Jesus explains it in a farm. Jesus explains it with money. Jesus explains it with talents. Jesus explains it uh, with a rich man and a beggar. Jesus explains it in the accountant <clears throat> that uh, is uh, a scoundrel. Jesus explained it in every which way. Whatever phase is your work. You at your work, you're a steward at that work. And that's, that was our third week. Uh, stewards at what God told us to do. If you spend more time in the bathroom and if you spend more time on breaks and you do working, well, you'll give account to that to God. You say, oh, sister, God isn't interested in MTA. God isn't interested in, in corrections. God isn't. God's interested in everything. In everything. And the beautiful thing is the Apostle Paul, you know, you know, he motivates you to do that. You know what the Apostle Paul says? You work as unto the Lord. Forget if it's a slave owner. Forget if it's a boss. Forget whoever it is. You work as unto the Lord. And you know, when you realize that, how, you're, how, how, how the whole atmosphere of work changes. You're not going in for the ugly boss. You're going in because you've got a job to do. That's what's paying your salary. And you're going to do the best job you can do. And God's going to bless you at it. And there's nothing, I don't know about you folks, but there's nothing like a conscientious worker, is there? There's absolutely nothing like that. It's, it's, it, they're a breed, all their own. They're so precious. Back to the, just the thought, the stewardship of caring. He that doesn't care for his own is worse than the infidel. So we must start at home. Watching for those who are under our care. And I'm going to change the word watching and saying caring. The stewardship of caring. Caring for those who are under our care. Now this caring starts at home. It starts with family. It starts with, it goes on to friends, to work, whether it be secular or spiritual. Now I chose this scripture, the one in Timothy that I just paraphrased for you. And now let's go to to John 19. There's the most beautiful example in the whole wide world. It's, uh, it's, It's very touching, very moving, and so beautiful. And there's a time span in this truth that's going to wrench your heart out. But it's going to do it in a beautiful way. And the 19th chapter, and let's go to what I would say is the uh, the 25th verse. In order to understand the 25th, let me just give you the end of the 24th. So they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my robe. 
And that, of course, is scripture, folks. That's a, uh, a, a scripture from the book of Psalms where it speaks. It's probably the 22nd Psalm. I'm not too sure which one. Psalm 22, 18. Okay, That's, uh, that is where it prophesies what would happen to Messiah. Now, they divided my clothes among them. They cast their lots for my robe. So that is what they did. Now, that verse goes right into standing near the cross were Jesus' mother Mary, his aunt, wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside me, now you've got to realize John is writing this book. And when Jesus, listen to this, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside me, beside me, John, okay, his close friend, he said to her, he is your son. Okay, I've got to take you back in the ministry of Jesus. There were times, several times in the scripture, where Jesus and Mary were together. All the years growing up in the carpenter shop in Nazareth, I'm sure. The scripture says he grew up with, uh, with great faith, or better said, uh, with the grace of, of God upon him in terms of grace before man and grace before God. Okay, a beautiful young man. But there were times in Jesus' ministry where Jesus openly, avidly, determinedly cast her aside. Would not let her control, enter in, or command anything that was happening in his life. Now, this is very interesting, especially for the fact that those that want to give Mary deity, she has no deity. She was a woman chosen of God, special vessel. The Bible calls her the handmaiden of the Lord. So she had to be beautiful. And she was pure. She was a virgin, untouched by men or man. So all the qualifications are there. But yet in her life, in her ministry... Oh, better said, in her life with Jesus, there were times that they would go and call her and say, Mary, your son is like crazy. He's proclaiming himself Messiah. Look, he's, on a house, he's in a house down in the other town. And the place is packed. And he's, he's just carrying on like he were God. Now, you've got to go back in the scripture, into that place in the temple where Jesus was being presented after eight days of birth, where Simeon took him in his arms, where the prophetess Anna, the lady 110 years old, standing there in prophecy. And one of the things that Simeon said to her, and he said it so clear, he says, a spear shall go through your heart. This is the greatest privilege a woman could have on the face of the earth. The greatest privilege. Yet it will be your privilege but it'll just about kill you. And that's true. So when they stood outside and they said, uh, she said, I'm, I'm his mother. I, I want to talk to him and his brothers and sisters are here. Please go call him. And they went in and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside. They want to talk to you. And he looked at them and he said, tell my mother and my brothers and my sisters that you see these people standing around. You see these people? These are my brothers, and these are my sisters, and this is my mother's, and this is my father. You understand? This is them. 
And who are they? Those that hear the word of God and do the word of God. And can you imagine the messenger going out and study, saying, well, how would you interpret it? They, were, they, were, they weren't into what we're into, theology. It's not 2,000 years later. It happened at the day. And they went out there and they said, lady, are you crazy? He says he doesn't even know you. Yeah. He says he doesn't even know you. And he says, he says his mother and his brother and his father, he says they're all sitting around him. Probably the 12 men he hangs out with. You know, they, and she turns around and I can't believe this. I can't believe this, and walks away. The question mark, no, the spear. Una espada traspasar a tu corazón. And it happened on many occasions, many occasions. There was no moment, no moment, where he acknowledged her power, even, even, even where he did her a favor. He totally put her aside. And that was at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. She says, oh, Jesus, there's no more wine. These poor people, they have three more days of festivity and they've run out of wine. Jesus says, what are you doing? I have nothing to do with you, woman. What, what are you coming to me for? And she, she knew something about him. Okay. And she turns her face and doesn't even talk to him anymore. Simply says to the servant, whatever he tells you to do, you do. Because he's not going to do it for me. But whatever he tells you to do, too. And she walks away. She walks away. And he simply says to the men, fill it up, the 12 of them, with water. And then take it to the master sala. Take it to the man in charge. And it was wine. And the man calls him up and says, hey, you are really an interesting party giver. Because everybody gives the best for the first two days and then I suppose they save the ripple for the last I don't know what can I tell you he says you've done better yet you've brought out the best after the third day it was Jesus hallelujah it was Jesus oh hallelujah so as far as knowing he could knowing he was different you've got to realize that when they said all those marvelous things about him when she brought him to the temple it's a scripture says and mary pondered these things in her heart okay now let's get back to calvary and standing near the cross was jesus jesus mother mary and the other folks and when jesus saw his mother standing there beside me his close friends, he said to her, he is your son. And to me, he said, she is your mother. Notice the connotation. She, he is your son. Okay? He is your son. And to me, he said, she is your mother. She's not my mother. She's your mother right now. You see, at Calvary, there was an exchange, a son for a savior. And you couldn't get one without letting go of the other. Oh, yeah. So a spear pierced her heart. Because we don't always understand the depths of spirituality. I would there cling to a body. I would there cling to the boy that I gave birth to. I would say he came out of my womb. 
I went through agony and as a virgin, double agony for bringing forth a child with never having sexual uh, encounter is a very agonizing experience. But there she made the change. And then he said to me, she's your mother. And listen to this. And from that, and from then on, I took her into my home. I don't know if she was homeless. You've got to realize Joseph is out of the picture. Come the fifth, sixth chapter of the book of, of any of the Gospels. We must, I conclude he died. And they buried Joseph. And Mary was alone with her children. And it was with the children that she showed up to look for Jesus. And it's with children and family that she's here at Calvary. And one of the most beautiful things is that she's also at the upper room. Okay. But now I've got to bring you into this picture, folks, because this is where we understand the stewardship of caring. And from then on, I took her into my own home. Folks... Listen to me. John disappears, scripturally disappears from the scene of the first church. He is there until the first council, 15th chapter. From then on, we don't have John. God lives, lifts a bastion of interpretation of scripture of interpretation of doctrine, of presentation of Christ, which is singular, the Apostle Paul. He moves in on the scene. We don't see John. The book of, John, the book of uh, Acts takes place at the death of Jesus with the upper room. You're talking about 50 days later. And that book moves into about 37 years. So it finishes about the year 67. The book of Acts finishes there. And it finishes there because in the year 70, we have the invasion of Jerusalem and it's not mentioned in the scriptures. So we have to understand through that that it hadn't happened or any apostle or even Peter or Paul would have mentioned it in their universal writings. But they don't. So what I bring to you is a time almost a time lapse. What I bring to you is a, 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 a historical situation which is very interesting. We don't see John. And I share with you, and naturally, it's my hypotheses. Could you say it? I don't know. It's, it's my thinking. He was very busy taking care of Mary, taking care of her the very best way he could. And when you go on and see the mammoth work the other apostles did and what they did, you'd almost come to the conclusion, well, he was, like he wasn't in the mainstream. John appears almost in the year 90. Isn't that interesting? Year eight, between 80 and 90, John appears after Christ. And he appears as a simple messenger going from church to church, and that's where you have his letters. But he appears as a dynamic force, but a totally broken force. 
You don't have the multitudes. You don't have the crowds. You don't have the, uh, the hip parade, the roar. You don't have any of that. But every church where John went, every church, and, the, and it's interesting because they say he preached sitting down, probably age. He just took a chair, sat down, preached. But everywhere he went, he left the place a burning flame for God. Everywhere he went, he set that place on fire for God. To the point that the little old man would go in, sit and talk with Christians, and then let me tell you something so that you can really say. He only had three sermons if you go through the Bible. His first sermon was, love one another, for God is love. And this is God's commandment, that you love one another. His second sermon was, and this is the witness that brings us salvation, that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. That's the second sermon. And the third sermon is the sermon on forgiveness, that the blood of Jesus washes away all our sins. So he, it's not that he was limited. I'm sure he wasn't. This is what he wrote about. Now, can you imagine somebody going to preach the same sermon all around and people being so fired up for God that the Roman government said, stop the old man. And you know what title he got in church history, of course. It's not in the Bible. He got the title of being the disciple, of being the, the follower of Christ that couldn't die, the man that wouldn't die. And there's a story of placing him in boiling oil. I don't know the truth of it, but it certainly sounds okay. Boiling oil, and he came out like he was in a cool shower. That's where they came to the conclusion, you can't kill him. And he spooked out the government. They said, well, if we can't, if we can't kill him, we'll get him away. And that's where the chosen sentence for John is in an island called Patmos, maybe like a devil's island because it's in that area of the upper Pacific, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the upper Mediterranean, right off of what today is Turkey, right off of Turkey. There's an island there, Patmos, and today there are, let me tell you, there's, there's everything you could ever imagine there. They have a chapel, they have a cloister, uh, they have uh, uh, a very special place for ministry on that island of Patmos. And it, it's interesting because the scripture says, and he wrote this, that the first Sunday that he was on the island, Guess who came to visit him? Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The first Sunday. <laughs> Jesus didn't even wait. He didn't even wait to be invited. I mean, he didn't even wait till the man got accustomed to where he was. The very first day, Jesus shows up on the island. And, and I can prove it to you just through scriptures, and it's so beautiful. And listen to the way he says it. Uh, I, I love the way he says, and this, and, and, and it is I, your brother John. This is in the book of Revelation, that very first chapter. A fellow sufferer for the Lord's sake, who am writing this letter to you. I too have shared the patience Jesus gives. And we who share his kingdom, I was on the island of Patmos, exiled there for preaching the word of God and for telling what I knew about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping. Isn't that beautiful? I like when people don't need a church. It was the Lord's day, so he was worshiping. Thank God for his house. But you're talking about being on a desert island. No, there were people there, but very few. And let me tell you something. Ships came in here once a year or maybe once every two years. And then it goes on. And when I was worshiping, that's why when we worship, anything can happen, folks. 
Then suddenly I heard a loud voice behind me, a voice that sounded like a trumpet blast, saying, I am A and I am Z, the first and the last. Uh, and then I heard him saying, uh, write down everything you see and send your letters to the seven churches in Turkey, to the church in Ephesus and Smyrna, and to those in Pergamon, to Theophyta, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking, there behind me were seven candlesticks of gold. And standing among them was one who looked like Jesus, uh, who called himself the Son of Man, uh, wearing a long robe circled with a gold band across his chest. His hair was white as wool or snow, and his eyes penetrated like flames of fire. His feet gleamed like burnished bronze, uh, and his voice thundered like the waves against the shore. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword in his mouth and his face shone like the power of the sun in unclouded brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell to his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. Oh, I love that scripture. Anytime God shows up, he has to tell us mortals, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Though I am the first and the last, the living one who died who is now alive forevermore, who has the keys of hell and death. Don't be afraid. Uh, write down what you've seen and what you will soon be and what will soon be shown to you. This is the meaning. in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are leaders of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks are the churches themselves uh, so once again I'm bringing you into this break this beautiful break of time from the year 67 all the way out to the, almost the year 85 or 90 what was taking what was taking place in the in-between he was taking care of Mary I imagine Mary's age at the death of Jesus. Something in the 50s, either early 50s, it had to be. I don't know how long she lived. And God kept her out of sight for a purpose, because even when he kept her out of sight, we still picked up the adoration. Because God, you know, what God, God did to Moses was bury his body so the Jews could never get a hold of it because they knew they would worship that body. God did the same to Elijah, the greatest prophet. He sent him up in a world when in a chariot of gold. Go! Because if they get a hold of you, they will immortalize you. And God doesn't care for us to immortalize people, folks. Really. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. There are nice people that have walked with us. Nice people came behind. But we've got to move on. And you know who we have to look at? Jesus. Hallelujah. So in the interim, you find a man that was faithful. Now, I want to bring this out to light because I think it's important. In the ministry and in the stewardship of caring, when you care for your own, you will not miss God's best. When you care for your own, when you choose to be kind to your family, when you choose to be kind to your loved ones, when you choose to do what the Bible says, uh, take care of your own. You say, Sister Amy, but you know, you can get tired of your own. Yes, you can. But that's where discipline comes in. That's where sharing really comes in. Because you see, there are times that we must spark the fires of life. There are times that God's got to give us the wisdom to work the balance in human beings. 
You say, oh, my husband, he's a depressant. When I get home, I mean, he's just out of it. God, bleh. what do I do? Well, stay in touch. Be alive. You're not there to ridicule. You don't know what makes people depressed because you're not a depressant, so you don't exactly know the core or where it's stemming from or how long it's been there or how the habit has possessed the life or how much they've inherited. God save us from heredity. Okay. But what's our job? Our job is to care. Our job is to care. And what does a caring person do? A caring person, first of all, he communicates. But they don't want to even, even hear. That's okay. Communicate in love. And when you're through communicating, remember God doesn't want pity. God wants compassion. Just, and you say, well, well all right. Let's say, let's say I have compassion. And let's say we've spoken. Then what? All right. Then do what the scripture says after you've done everything you can do in terms of your Christian life. Then just stand. Just be there. Just be there. You say, sister, what I want to do is open the door and run. Yeah, but don't run. Stay there. Stay there. Now, don't provoke aggravation. Just be there. Be there. God teaches us so many beautiful things. The Apostle John seemed to go into oblivion to do just one thing, take care. Why? Because Jesus said, she's your mother. I think he wrapped her in love. I think he wrapped her in care. I think he wrapped her in tenderness. I think she became the object of his life in terms of caring for this precious lady. And I think he buried her and then set on his tour to do the work. You say, wow, but look at the span. Almost 20 years blanket out of his life. No, they weren't blanket out of his life. You see, when you're where God wants you, every year will be a year of growth, a year of revelation, illumination. It'll be a year when character grows. It'll be a year where vision sets in. It'll be years where God does and molds and makes your life what he would have it to be. That's why we've got to realize and understand that the older we get and the closer we are to God, the better the years are, the more glorious they are. Time to grow. Hallelujah. And God blessed this man. But I want, I, want you, I want you to see the spirit of Jesus on the cross. Can I tell you something? The cross left no stone unturned in caring. The cross left no stone unturned in caring. The first one he cared for was his father and addressed himself to him. Second one he cared for was sinful people killing what they didn't know. Third thing he cared for was, a, was, what shall we say, in a, very, in a very careful way, a thief on a cross. Can you imagine? The third object of Jesus on the cross were thieves. Isn't that something? We throw them in jails. We lock them up. It was Jesus' object of caring. Okay. And then he goes on. And once again, caring continues. And when he's still caring for everybody, because that's when he tells John, uh, the woman, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. Then he goes on to his own needs and to the satisfaction of all our needs. And he says, it's finished and commends himself to the father. He taught us to care. 
He taught John to care, and John was faithful, caring. And you know what else? The scripture says, honor your mother and your father so that your days may be prolonged on earth. Scripture says it's the first promise. It's the first commandment with a promise. Jesus says to John, take care of her. She's your mother. He did, and you know what? He outlived all the other apostles. It was over 100 years old. We don't know 100 what? Over 100. Isn't that matchless? Isn't that matchless? We're talking about the stewardship of caring. Now let me go quick on this part because I think it's important. What holds us back from caring? What do we have to fight against? Number one, ego. And what is ego? Ego is just one thing. Me first. It reminds me of the kids you put in front of the camera, right? Say, come on now, smile. You ever see a kid smile for a camera? They look ugly. Because they, they want to they over-smile. Do you understand? And you see, you're trying to say, no, a little, little bit, little bit. No, 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 don't pinch your lips. But you see, they learn from us very quickly. And what they learn from us, show. Okay? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just got to stay in its proper place. And listen to this. Many people used to say, and there used to be a little thing that said, uh, uh, Jesus, others, and you. Uh, J-O-U or J-O-Y, joy. I've come up against that because I don't, I don't, care, for the, I don't care for the order. I think it's Jesus, me, and then others. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not until Jesus in me, showing me who I am, what I was and what I can be, that then I can be a blessing to others. So although the word says joy, I have to break up the lettering because I don't go with the philosophy and I don't go with the idea. It's not Jesus, you. It's not Jesus, others, and you to make a word joy. No, it's Jesus, you, and then others. Now, the next thing that holds us back is of caring is time management. Once again, we get back to the thought of time. If you really want to care, you've got to put time into it. If you really want to care, you've got to make time so that that family can be cared by you. Another thing we've got to deal with and deal with very openly is our prejudices. We live in a world filled with prejudices. And we cannot and we never will be able to develop a true stewardship of caring until we're freed from our prejudices. And let me tell you something. Prejudice don't always, doesn't always reveal itself in just color. There's lots of types of prejudices. There's a prejudices of, 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 of style, of uh, uh, prejudices of, 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 of so many things. People that don't do things like you do them. People that don't have your ideas. That's all prejudices. And you know what else? Our caring is impeded because we don't have a source. You've got to have God. You say, well, I go to church. It's not enough. You've got to have an ongoing personal relationship with God. And I like the expression in Spanish, and you'll forgive that I refer so to Spanish. Preached in it 38 years and got all my... There's a beautiful expression. You've got to know God on a personal basis. But in Spanish, we say, de tu a tu. Now, the reason we use tu a tu is because Spanish has two ways of directing yourself to people. If they are a person of great respect, renown, a person of age, you say usted. 
And when the children were small, if you ever tuteaba anybody, I mean, your mother would go, bah! and you know you can't say, tu. you can't say it. You say, usted. Okay. And I heard once a preacher say, we don't have to go to God with usted. A Dios le encanta el tuteo. God loves for you to deal with him on a one-to-one -one basis, on the friendly basis, on the friendly basis. And that's why, that's our source. That's why you can't make it on the job if you haven't spoken to God before you get on the job. You can't rush out of your house like a dynamo or like an explosive. Hey, take time. Take time. One lady said to me the other day, she came to visit me up here in the office, and she's walking out the door, and she closed the door, and she just said a prayer. She says, you taught me that. I said, what did I teach you? She says, you taught me the one-minute prayers at the door. <laughs> I must have said it one time, and she picked it up. That's okay for starters, folks, but you got to give them a little bit more than a minute at the door, okay? And then if we have our source, we will then be a fountain of resources for others. So, folks, we got to care. We've got to care. Do you know if we went through the Bible and we really cared like the Bible says, our old people wouldn't need nursing homes. Our old people wouldn't have to be warehoused. Did you know that? If we really care, we'd have a place and, and a setup in such a way where families would share in their well-being and in their care. Today we have a world that doesn't. Now, I'm not, hey... I'm not laying guilt trips on anybody. I'm simply telling you that God requires from us a stewardship of caring. We've got to love our own. That's where it starts. And then you know what? Your kids will learn to love others. When a kid is hugged, when a kid is told he's good, when a kid is told he's blessed, when a kid hears his name, uh, mommy mentioned my name in prayer, daddy mentioned my name in prayer. Mommy gave me a scripture. Daddy gave me a scripture. Daddy did it for me. He said it for me. I'm going to tell you something. He'll grow up and he'll never forget that. Let's care for our own. And when we've hugged our own, then let's reach out. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the great truth of stewardship of caring. Lord, there are times we want to go out and save the world and we haven't hugged our own kid. There are times we want to do so much for sinners and the unsaved. But our home hasn't heard us breathe a prayer. And our kids haven't thanked God for their food with me at the table. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you this day. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God, give us such a sense of caring. Caring where the nucleus of the family comes back together again. Caring where we start to sit and talk with our kids and even play games with them. Caring when we, even alone, when the kids are all gone, we still have something to say to each other. And the young parents with all the kids around, let their communication be sweet and powerful. And those that are still without family, bless them. Oh, keep those communication lines open, Lord. Let their dreams soar. Let them like eagles fly the sky. Oh, God, give us our source in you. 
that in turn we become resources to others, Lord. A resource to someone else. Bless our homes. Bless our families. Bless our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.